listening to The 123 Show with me, Noreen Mir, this Wednesday afternoon, and I'm super stoked to welcome back to the studio Cruzy McCalligan. Cruz, it's great to see you today. How are you? Hello. I feel like I haven't seen you in a really long time, but that's just because there was a public holiday last yeah, week. Yeah, I know. It was but July 1st. But you're <laughs> back. I'm back. I'm back. Hi. And on Facebook Live And as on well. Facebook Live. So feel free to join us there, Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio 3 or Cruz on Radio 3, and you can join us there and uh, hear what Cruz has to talk about today. Which is neon and neon signage which sounds a little bit tacky but it's interesting classic it's classic it's classic hong kong (laughs) and apparently sadly it's not as classic as it used to be we're going to get into that so we're going to start talking about neon the element and then we're going to gently segue into its application to our city just to give you an overview so neon and specifically neon lights um we commonly associate with storefronts and you know bright lights big city type stuff um now Of course, the way that those work is inside those hollow tubes is neon gas, which produces this luminous glow when you run an electric current through it. Um, But if we go back a little bit more until the actual element of neon, the actual um, the gas itself. So um, neon gas was first discovered in 1898. So it was, you know, quite a, a fair while ago and is named from the Greek word for neos, which translates to the new gas. So it wasn't particularly original. Um, neon itself naturally produces a red glow, but you can produce over 150 other colours with the use of other substances, which is why neon signs aren't just always red. We can have them in lots of different things. Um, and of course, uh, the fun thing about um, when we talk about um, neon is, of course, the fact it's like discovery and people finding a new element and all the things that we can do with it. So. Uh, Most of us are pretty familiar with it in signage, but there's a couple of facts about it that you may not be familiar with. Um, The first one is that it wasn't the first um, big discovery by the um, by the person who discovered it. So it there. So William Ramsey already had discovered a few different elements at this time before him and fellow British chemist Morris Travers became the first scientists to isolate neon and find that element. Now, in 1894, he and a physicist, John Williams, isolated argon from air for the first time. Then in 1895, he became the first person to isolate helium on Earth. Um, but he had a hunch that there were more noble gases. So these are part of what we call the noble gases if you're having flashbacks to chemistry GCSEs. The period <laughs> um, yeah, and, uh, and he, him and Travers isolated neon, krypton and xenon for the first time in 1898. And as a result, uh, so William Ramsey won the Nobel Prize in chemistry in 1904, not to be confused with the noble gases. And of course, I had to look into this because, um, of course, all the noble gases, there seven, helium, neon, argon, krypton, xenon, radon and organesson. And um, of course, uh, like the others, they are uh, uh, like the other noble gases. Neon is colourless, odourless, tasteless and under standard conditions, um, non-flammable. And so it's it's highly unreactive. So this is why it's reasonably safe to put in a big lit up sign <laughs> above where people live and shop and eat and work. Um, but if, and it's probably the least reactive of the, the noble gases um, and it doesn't form chemical bonds with other elements. So there are no neon compounds as such. But I wanted to look at why they were called the noble gases because I always remembered that term and I couldn't remember why they're called the noble gases because it's quite, quite profound, isn't yes. it? The noble gases. Um, and that's because they are so majestic that in general they don't react with anything. So it's the fact that they're unreactive that makes them so noble. They're noble gases. Um, they're also known as inert gases, inert. but that's obviously not as lovely sexy, as saying, yeah. yeah, not as sexy if we're talking about the etymology. Um, and yeah, so of course, 
Neon is actually one of the most abundant elements in the universe. Uh, stars produce it, and it's one of the comp um, components of solar wind. It's also found in the lunar atmosphere, but it's very difficult to find here on Earth, this sort of um, incredible, incredible substance. So neon is located in the Earth's mantle, and there's tiny amounts of it in our air, which is where we get commercial neon. So that's where we're extracting the neon from. We don't go into space to make our signage. <laughs> um, and dry air contains just 0.0018% neon. So that's tiny. Now, if you compare that to 20.995% oxygen and 78% nitrogen, that's a really, really, really small, small amount of neon that we have in the air. Um, of course, there's other trace gases in the air as well. Now, using a process of altern uh, alter alternately compressing and expanding air, scientists can turn most of those gases into liquids, right? Again, going back to GCSE <laughs> chemistry. Um, now, and then that's when they're able to separate them from for industrial and commercial use is by compressing, compressing, compressing and expanding. Um, for example, like we get like liquid nitrogen that way, which people use in the medical field and things like that. Now, in the case of neon, that's really not easy to do. It's not simple and it's not efficient. It takes 88,000 pounds of liquid air to produce one pound of neon. <gasps> Wow. So it's, you know, again, it's like, it's finding, it's like diamonds. It's like neon gas in the air is like diamonds. Um, and of course, like, as I said, as, as we just, um, as we associate neon with the spectrum of bright, colorful lights, by itself, it usually only glows kind of reddish origin, orange, sorry, but we can mix it with other things. So um, mercury gl glows blue which can make blue light. Um, helium glows kind of pinkish red and xenon gr glows purple. So we kind of have this incredible combination of art meeting science when we're creating these different, um, different colors. So interestingly, neon light itself um, and neon signage wasn't, I actually didn't realize it was not that long ago that it was created. So neon lights were first made in 1911 by a French chemist called Georges Claude, and they became very, very popular for business signs even into the early 1920s. So it was only like 10 years later that from kind of creating this idea of running current through it um, in the, in France and the US, people started thinking, we can do this to market our businesses, right? So which is quite an exciting idea. Um, it made it... Um, so people did this, they put it into to glowing neon tubes. Claude took it to, you know, like showcases and said, look what I can do with colors. Um, and then uh, he attained a US patent for it in 1915 and went on to make a fortune. He made an absolute fortune from making neon light. And of course it didn't, um, interestingly, though it's associated with, for example, okay, Hong Kong, we talk about it a lot, but places like Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Las Vegas, say, yes. yeah. Um, it didn't immediately come to Las Vegas. It would... Um, it actually, and even though Vegas is now the home of the Neon Museum, there is a Neon oh. Museum in Las Vegas. Um, so they're not, we're not, we're kind of a little bit unsure when they first, came, when neon signs first came to the US, but people do think that legend has it that Los Angeles was actually the first city to boast a neon sign, um, thanks to the luxury car company Packard, um, which caused huge uh, traffic jams when it first displayed this massive neon sign. So it's quite a famous one, this Packard, um, this Packard neon sign. Um, and they, they they found that sign, a sign dating back to 1923. So it's kind of confusing. We don't really know. It was LA, it was San Francisco, but it was, it wasn't, didn't start in Las Vegas, but someone was obviously very entrepreneurial and hop, skipping and jumping it over there. Now, of course, in Hong Kong, 
this is a really interesting thing because we have like we're really famous for our neon signs right and i have i have an affection for them i think we all do there's something about like you know nathan road at 2 a.m you know and all the signage there but for the pawn shops and for the restaurants <laughs> yeah exactly and, and even for big brands like rolexes they have a neon sign. oh totally <laughs> and i think even as children like some of those huge ones that are on top of the buildings on the um the central central one chai um skyline yes. like those have been there since i was a child yeah. you know what i mean those are those are names and words you would pronounce because you saw the sign for Omega or something, yeah. you know, where you didn't know what it meant, you didn't know what it was advertising, but you knew the word. It's like the most incredible form of brand awareness um, of e ever, right? Um, and of course, what's really interesting is, is in, in Hong Kong, um, neon signs really took off um, in the post-World War II era. They, that's when they really became a part of our streets and our skyline. Um, and they were supplied by hundreds of workshops. We used to have so many neon signage workshops. And they were for everything, like you said, restaurants, hotels, nightclubs, pharmacies, jewelry, tailor, pawn shops. Um, and they, you know, they, they kind of were this incredible symbol of our city's growing prosperity, literally bigger and brighter, right? And then, um, but of course, um, so we, they were first introduced into Hong Kong quite soon in their lifespan in the 1920s. So in a similar time that they were um, happening um, in in other parts of the world, but they really exploded, as I said, post-World War II, 1950s and through to the 80s when like I said, Nathan Road and nightlife districts in Wan Chai. Mm. Um, like, no part of the city was dark any longer, right? Mm. There were no more dark corners because there was lights on all the time. And by 1970, entire building facades were covered in neon, including uh, what used to be the National Panasonic sign on Nathan Road, which Guinness World Record uh, Records declared to be the world's largest, right? Really? Yeah, so it used to be, wow. it was declared as the world's largest neon sign. Um, but of course, that's that was before we were born, so yeah. we haven't noticed it. Um, but yeah, the, I was born. Yeah, so the... the <laughs> oh, Noreen. Um, anyway, so, but interestingly, in recent years, um, development, there's been pressure on development, government regulations and changing attitudes and preferences have transformed a lot of these neon-lit areas into largely neon-free zones. And it's quite striking. Like, I was looking at some photos online of, like, then and now, and it's actually quite sad. Like, you know, it's... It's almost more boring without all the signs. And I guess they've been replaced with giant LED screens LED. and things like that. It doesn't have the same effect, though, you know? Also, LED signs, are, I feel like they're brighter. I feel like they... Yeah, I think they are, too. If, if you were sleeping in, your, in a room... And they're flashing. Districts. They're flashing and moving, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Maybe we but just I, have this nostalgia. Yeah, we do. We do. I, I do. I'm really nostalgic for it. Um, but interestingly, um, you know, what's really sad is the sort of dying craft in the making of neon signs. So what was once a really thriving industry, as I said, we used to have hundreds of workshops making these very, mm. very, you really have to be very skilled to do this. Um, there's only a small handful of them remaining in Hong Kong. And it is a, it you know, it used to be the, the craft that lit up our skyline. And now it's sadly dying a little bit. Um, but hopefully um, some people are trying to think about how we can preserve that um, because there is a safety issue, I suppose, and there is a light pollution issue, I guess, as well. Although I would also like to think that as neon signs have progressed, so too have the technology behind blackout curtains. <laughs> so you'd think, cancel that, each yeah, other. you'd think they'd cancel each other out a little bit. Um, there's also been um, some other things saying like, you know, um, people are just um, less 
less easily impressed, I guess. You know, tourists don't see it in the same way. It's not as exciting to people, probably because they're like, oh, I've seen it on a postcard or something. It doesn't yeah. excite me to see all the bright lights. We're like, it does for us. Yeah. Um, and also that from tourists from other places, like if tourists are coming over to Hong Kong from mainland China, they've got a lot of neon signs there. So it's not a lot of novelty it's not as value. Iconic, exactly. Yeah. So there's that as well. So even though um, there used to be, um, but one thing that's interesting is those pawn shop signs. Um, and I didn't yeah. realize this. So do you know what the actual, because I know the shape, yeah. right? But I didn't actually know what it actually is. Good and question. I think, so apparently it's, it's the coin holding upside down bat. Huh? I didn't know that's what it was. It's, and we both know what it is. I'm doing, I'm doing a gesture in the air for Facebook Live, but it's that kind of pointy crown with the, with a ball underneath, right? Yes. But it's a coin holding upside down bat, which apparently is an iconic symbol since the Song Dynasty, which represents fortune and prosperity. That's I didn't a, know that. I did know I that just either. knew the shape, but yes. I don't think I ever thought about what, what is that shape. An upside down bat. An upside yeah. down bat holding a coin. Yeah. yeah. I suppose it's a, it's, a, it's a good luck sign because, um, oh, okay, because uh, bat in Chinese is fuk. So fuk also means prosperity. And, and an upside down means dou jun jog, a fuk. So fuk dou means your, your prosperity there will we come. Go. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, now, now we know. Yes, now, <laughs> now, we, know. now we all know. Now we know. Um, but I do think it's pretty interesting that there have been some really cool people and cool projects that have been dedicated to trying to preserve some of our neon signage. And one of them is the M Plus collection, so the M Plus Museum. Um, you know, in West Kowloon. Yeah, in, yes. in West Kowloon. Um, they, um, there's, of course, there's a lot of famous neon signs in Hong Kong that we would all know of if you grew up here like I said there's a lot of ones on our waterfront one of the famous ones is the Sammy's Kitchen oh, yes. cow right cow. that used to be on um, on Saying Pun yeah in yeah. Saying Pun and on Queens Road West and apparently that had a couple of problems with regulations because obviously the, the, it hasn't changed yeah. but the regulations have and they're like you can't have a sign that is physically larger than the restaurant it represents um, but that that was bought by um M plus and they have created this kind of neon signage museum so they're yeah. trying to collect some of those so that they don't we don't lose them from our story as a city and things like that either um, and of course um, yeah so there's quite a few in that way I think they used to be there used to be over 200 of those pawn shop neon signs. So um, many. Yeah, there used to be a lot more, especially in the 70s and 80s, which was the neon heyday, um, which um, they don't, which I, I do think about sometimes. If you think about like the 70s and 80s, maybe not the 80s, but the 70s and like lots of parts of the world and lots of cultures around the world when like the dominant color palette was orange and brown right <laughs> like if you were in somewhere in the north of england you'd have an orange and brown sofa or something and i think like you know you think you'd come to hong kong out of an orange and brown landscape and then suddenly you'd have the, these the reds the it must have just been absolutely amazing to arrive in hong kong to that you know what yeah, i mean like the hustle and the bustle yeah, and i think we take it for granted a bit that it's like the wow factor i think yeah. we've all become too accustomed to the wow factor of our city and we're like oh let's just replace it with some screens and yeah. i'm like no stop it i want the neon but that's just personal um anyway but yeah so um the issue is that people have also become i guess people are becoming a little bit more um people don't want light pollution you know what i mean we we live on top of each other and it can get stressful and frustrating and you know if we can say take your sign down it's keeping me awake at night then mm -hmm. i guess people don't really want to um but yeah so but the good news is there are people um 
looking at this and I found a really cool website um, neonsigns.hk and if you google this M plus have this awesome kind of interactive exhibition on Google that you can click through and it shows you some then and now photos and some of the famous signs and it has some videos with some sign makers um, so I just want to share that because it was super cool that that exists so give we can us all the website again Chris? so it's neonsigns.hk n-e-o-n-s-i-g-n-s dot h-k yeah, and you can find loads more information there if it if it's so if it so pleases you. Yeah, and people can see the then and now pictures of of neon lights covered Hong Kong versus the um, abolished versions of, <laughs> yeah. of, of the city. But who knows? I think it's becoming. I think it's coming back in some ways. It's kind of retro, and I think things have a way of like becoming popular again. I was going through Soho the other day, and I saw a couple of restaurant signs that were neon, neon signage again, oh. and I was like, well, that's obviously a new restaurant, so it's really interesting they've chosen to use neon signage again. It's actually yeah. quite hard to make these neon signs. Um, there are workshops around Hong mm. Kong which actually do that and I've seen people doing that before and you literally have to bend the tubes yeah, yeah. Um, the glass tubes and then insert the gases and oh. then make sure you don't bust it oh, I know. because there are times when um, the, the tubes uh, the colours um, stop at certain parts of the tube if you bend it too much oh of course they do yeah, yeah. so to, to keep the colour throughout the entire tube it's a craft it's a craft it's a, craft. It's a lost craft, it's a craft. <laughs> and it's a dimming craft yeah. now do you have a couple of I don't have any quotes I, I couldn't find any the only things I could I could say was just that you know there are a few there are a few more things as iconic in Hong Kong as the glow of our neon signs which yes. is true they all represent each of them represents a little business or a restaurant somewhere where people are inside and doing something fun or interesting or maybe illegal who knows but <laughs> the fact is it's a beautiful statement of our humanity and busyness as a city yes yeah. well Chris thank you so much for researching this wonderful topic and really uh, giving us a bit of a collective memory uh, a walk down memory neon path lane <laughs> thank you so much for your time no today worries. until next week and that's Cruzy McCalligan in for this week's audio column talking about neo signs uh, which is a classic part of Hong Kong's uh, landscape thank you very much indeed 